every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with TJ Waldorf, CMO at One World Sync, the leader in product content orchestration. In this episode, TJ shares the true value in customer case studies and what that can do for the sales team, why brand and demand aren't mutually exclusive, and the importance of understanding what your business is trying to accomplish. TJ also talks about why alignment across teams is critical to marketing success. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between TJ Waldorf, CMO at One World Sync, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, and I am joined by a very special guest, longtime listener as well, I have to say. TJ, how are you? Good, man. How are you? Good to see you. Great to see you. Super excited to chat today. We've known each other for a while, and getting all your thoughts to our our visionary audience is really exciting. Today's show, as always, brought to you by our friends at Qualified. Qualified is the number one conversational sales and marketing platform for companies' revenue teams that use Salesforce. Go to qualified.com right now to learn more. TJ, first question, what was your first job in marketing? Man, I had to, had to think about this. I could go all the way back to when I was marketing and selling at a lemonade stand, but maybe that's you're not looking for that quite, quite that far back. You know, I, I started my marketing career in graphic design and visual communications and Right out of school, I worked at an office max in the copy center. And so I was doing a lot of like design work for small businesses and, you know, personal events and and that kind of stuff. So I think that's, if if I go all the way back, that's probably where I started. And flash forward to today. Tell us about your current role at One World Sync. Yeah. So I am the chief marketing officer at One World Sync. I've been with the company for a little over three years now and you know, in the marketing or you have kind of your usual suspect in terms of roles and whatnot. And then I also have some BDRs as well as a group we call community enablement, which we can kind of talk more about, but it's basically a team that works with our, you know, our retailers to help mobilize and activate the brands and suppliers that sell into those retailers. So it's a, it's a pretty interesting model and wasn't something that I was too familiar with before joining One World Sync, but very, very important part of, of the overall marketing organization here. Yeah, super fascinating company and go-to-market. Let's get into that in the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? This is where we go and feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest pipeline secrets. Zooming out, what does One World Sync do? Yeah, so we, you know, we actually just went through a a company kind of repositioning project and brand refresh. And, you know, the way that we think about what we do is, you know, we really are the leaders in what we call product content orchestration. So 
you know, when you think of all of the, the product data and product content that brands have to share with retailers or other content recipients, whether that's, you know, supply chain logistics data all the way through, you know, all the content that you might see on, you know, walmart.com or amazon.com to engage and convert a buyer to actually click buy now and add to the cart and click buy now. You know, we're really the behind the scenes technology that supports all of that. So it's super, super interesting to think about it from a, you know, from a consumer standpoint and just really understand the complexities that go into, you know, not only getting physical products from one place to another, but, you know, how all that works online as well. Yeah, absolutely. Endlessly fascinating. You and I have talked at length about it, just how complex of a, of a product it really is and how many, you know, stores and shelves and, and, and digital land spaces and everything are touched by one world sync. And it was pretty yeah. mind blowing to me. Yeah. I mean, we just, we just acquired a company that does e-commerce analytics for Walmart. And one of the interesting things that, that we learned after that acquisition or during the acquisition process is that, you know, if you think of walmart.com as a consumer, you're thinking of like one e-commerce website, but the reality is there are over 4,600 walmart.coms because they're localized. And, you know, if you're going to buy something online, pick it up in the store, you need to find that product you know, next to where you live to go buy it. So you even think of the complexities of like, how does a, a brand understand, you know, how their products are performing in each one of those separate, you know, markets and stores. It just, it's layers upon layers of complexity and, and we help solve all that. And so who are your types of customers? Man, we have, today we have over 17,000 customers. So if you can imagine, you know, that scale and just kind of the span of you know, the size of customers that we work with, we work with, you know, brands that you think of all the way up to, you know, the PNGs of the world down to, you know, Ian's cookies, right? So if you, you single sole operator, maybe one or two people on the team, you're selling, you know, your famous cookies into Walmart, we're, we're probably helping you too. Yeah. And so of those customers, obviously size being a key part there, what mm -hmm. does that buying committee look like? Yeah, so it's changed. So I, I've been with the company for about three years now. And when I joined, you know, the buying committee was a, a pretty specific department. And that department, you know, is typically you'd see titles like master data. And, and those were the, the people within the brand or the retailer that were focused mostly on the supply chain and logistics data. So that's who we sold to, right? And that was a very specific piece of technology and capability that we sold. Since then, though, you know, we've acquired, we've acquired seven companies, we've built a lot of new technologies and capabilities within our platform. And, you know, today we sell not only to the master data teams, and the IT teams, but, you know, marketing, e-commerce, sales, you know, and all the different constituents within those groups. So, you know, the, the, the range of who we're selling to today is, has expanded as much or more as, you know, we have as a company. So it's, it's been interesting. What's your marketing strategy? Yeah, so we think of our, our marketing strategy and, you know, kind of three pillars in an overlay, which is position, you know, how do we position our platform to all these different buying groups that we sell to today? When I mentioned that we just went through kind of a refresh and a repositioning project to make sure that we're resonating with those different buying groups. So that's, that's a big part of it. And then, you know, putting the customer at the center of everything that we do. So through case studies, you know, G2 reviews, so on and so forth. And then expanding the, the different use cases, right? So what are those e-commerce use cases? 
what are the sales use cases that our, our platform and our solutions can solve for today? And then that overlay is really, you know, measuring what matters, right? You know, picking, picking what our North star is and, you know, what the leading indicators and input metrics and all that um, really are to support the other three pillars. Where does sort of like pipeline generation fit within that? Yeah. I mean, it really fits across all three of those pillars, but if I was uh, kind of drill in, right. Like if I think of how we're expanding our use cases, a big part of our opportunity is, you know, you can imagine with 17,000 customers being able to go to those brands and retailers with new capabilities that we've either acquired or that we've built and, you know, partnered hand in hand with the sales team, really get in front of these new buyers to, to get them to understand how they can leverage more of what we do. Tell me about this, this brand refresh that you had going on, repositioning. Why'd you do it? How'd you do it? Yeah. The, the why is really, you know, like I said, over the last three years, we've acquired or built a lot of new, really great stuff, technology capabilities, so on and so forth. And close to a year ago, we got to a point where we're like, man, our story and how we're positioned in the market really needs to catch up to who we are, you know, as a business today and, and looking ahead, call it 24 months. So that was really the catalyst of why we did it. And, you know, like I said, it was, it was close to a year in the making. Any pieces of advice for, for someone going through a, a repositioning like that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, be open, be open to ideas. That's kind of the first thing. Like we, we partnered with a really awesome agency to help us through this process. And I think that was really key because you brought an objective view in, right. They led a lot of customer interviews and prospect roundtables and, took a very data-driven approach to figuring all this stuff out too. So, you know, we had our CEO involved, our chief product officer involved, you know, our chief technology officer. So there are, there are a lot of people involved and really, I think the way that you have to think of these things, these projects like this is it's not a, a marketing project per se, it's really a company project. So, you know, having the CEO and other leaders in the company bought in and really helping drive the conversations was a, was critical. And I think a a big part of our success. Okay. Any other thoughts on strategy or buyer committee or customers or, you know, any of that sort of stuff? You know, I think from a customer standpoint, like I said, we, we try to put the customer at the center of, of everything we do from a marketing perspective. So, you know, we work really closely with our sales team again to get customers essentially raise their hands, you know, partner with us on case studies or testimonials and, I think the more, this is probably an obvious statement to your audience, but the more that you can get the customer to tell that story, you know, and how we're enabling their success, it just makes everybody's job a whole lot easier. So again, maybe a little bit of an obvious statement, but something that we, we keep it at the front of everything we do. You know, it is an obvious statement, but it's not an obvious implementation. I mean, like, you know, you sure. and I have talked about this in the past about things like, you know, podcasts and video series and webinars and, and customer stories and video and shooting and, and interviews and, and, mm-hmm. and how do you just sort of get those customer stories out as many places as possible and as many use cases? Like it's just really complex. I mean, it's as complex as marketing is. So I think it's, yeah. it's sort of, it's like, should, should sit above all of our computers and say, yeah, like, yeah. how are you telling customer stories in new, exciting, creative and different ways? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, you have to build got to build up just a big backlog of customers that are willing to do stuff because sometimes, you know, depending on the the size of the customer that you're working with, just the approvals and everything that you have to go through to get them to, you know, say, yep, you can do that. It can take a while. So when I have a backlog. 
Well, and just in the way that you're engaging them and the format that you're engaging them. Like that's also part of it. I think so much we go for the, you know, there's, there's levels to levels of engagement with this stuff. Like getting Mm -hmm. someone to keynote your user conference is a much different ask than asking them to, you know, do a shoot at their headquarters where you bring cameras in versus, you know, getting them to come on your podcast. Like they're just levels to this stuff. And it doesn't always need to be a perfectly professionally shot video or it doesn't always need to be, you know, something that's very informal, like a podcast, but there's lots of different ways to do it, but people like all the different ways. I think going through COVID kind of taught us some of these things of, you know, if you get a customer just to, you know, pull out their iPhone and and do a quick recording of themselves, like that stuff can still be super engaging. Right. And you, you piece a couple of those together and, you know, add some of your brand elements to it. It's, it, it can work really well. So I think you gotta, you gotta just be open to some of those different formats. Yeah. Last thing I would say on this, cause I think it's really important is that people are, are bad at self-diagnosing problems. So when mm-hmm. you, when they give a customer story, if you, if I was to just say, Hey, TJ, tell, tell me what it's like to work with Caspian. You could probably come up with some stuff, but if I started to pry at other things that you have problems with or that you used to have problems with, you don't even necessarily remember some of the things that yeah. used to happen back in the day or, or, you know, whatever it is. And I think that that's an important part that it takes a good investigative approach to those type of storytelling. And, mm-hmm. and that's where you get some of those like really authentic details that you might yeah. miss. And you can't do that with everyone. And again, there's lots of approvals and legal is going to have to get involved, but there's ways to ask the right questions to get some interesting answers. Yeah. And I, you know, I'd say one last thing on that, something that we're, you know, we're pretty putting more focus on is it's fine if you, you know, develop a, a full case study, but like, what are the, you know, juicy sound bites from that conversation, from that case study that you really want to make sure that your sales team is, you know, weaving into their conversations on a regular basis. And I don't think, at least in my experience, marketing teams think about that enough. It's more just, Hey, here's a case study and I hope you do something with it. Right. Uh, with the sales team. So I think the more that you can kind of lead the horse to water, so to speak on here's great content, here's how you should use it. You know, here are different ways that you can use it to, you know, engage new prospects or re-engage conversations that might have happened with customers a while ago. That's work that I think marketing teams should be doing and, and we're certainly trying to do that. Yeah, I use this example a lot on the podcast, but we were talking to a CMO where they're talking about, you know, selling accounting software. And mm-hmm. the big pain point is that end of quarter that the account is going to be there, you know, all night, right? And yeah. their marketing was around like accounting software where you can spend end of quarter, you know, dinner with your family. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's the sort of stuff where you get that person to say, hey, I had the end of quarter stuff wrapped up, you know, I didn't have to do every night and I got to watch all my kids' yeah. soccer games. Like that's a really impactful emotional quote right. that like you could put that in your ad copy and it probably is going to work well, but you pair that with the actual testimonial of the person saying it and it's like yeah. 10x. 100%. Totally agree. All right, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Where you talk about the tactics that help you win 
well, you got to open up the playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? Yeah, I hear you ask this question. Obviously, I listen to the podcast all the time. And, you know, I think one that that seems to get added to the cut list very early, especially when you go through kind of rough market conditions as brand. And I would say, you know, especially going through this process that we just went through to, uh, you know, refresh your brand and, and reposition the company, I would put that at the top of the uncuttable. I think that, you know, brand and demand don't often go together as tightly as they should. And, you know, we could have been halfway through this project and said, you know, what, we're going to hold because we got to make a little bit more of an investment. But I think that would have been a, a terrible idea and we didn't do it. Right. So, you know, I would put brand, I would put brand on that list for sure. The other one, which is, you know, depending on who you ask, it could be a great tactic or a terrible one. Webinars like webinars work great for us. We typically get five, 600 plus, you know, people to register and, you know, the, the typical conversion rate on that to show up. And, you know, I've had conversations with other marketing leaders where they're like, ah, you know, webinar, we just don't do webinars. They, they're, they're terrible. Right. And I think you get that in your mind because you've joined or attended terrible webinars, right? Just the ones where it's a pure product pitch and, you know, not a conversation, not a dialogue. And, you know, that's something that we, we try to bring into what we do. And, you know, every month and every quarter, we seem to get more and more people joining. So it seems like, you know, the format and the content that we're putting out, whether it's, you know, having a customer join us to talk about their experience, kind of a live case study sort of thing, or, you know, other thought leadership, they, they work really well for us. So that, that would be another one. And then, you know, the last one I would say is, you know, social. I think social is a, a big part of what we do. And and when I say social, that's kind of a, a broad category, but social from everything from, you know, just the social that we're, that we're putting out on our corporate account to how we're engaging the employees at One World Sync to help amplify that stuff, right? So we use we use a technology called Gagalamp to help our sales team, for example. We'll push something through the platform. They click a button. They're sharing it as well. But getting them to think more about how the individual, each individual can kind of almost become a brand ambassador for One World Sync themselves and, you know, promote what we're doing through their own profiles. So I think that's another super important one for us. Yeah, to the to the webinar piece, we had a guest come on to say that webinars need a rebrand. <laughs> and I totally agree. I think that... Mm-hmm. The way that people like, what is the difference between a virtual event and a webinar? Like, is there even at this point, is there anything? It's like, no. So it's like, what's the point? What's the difference between a podcast and a webinar? It's like, well, there's actually quite a lot. It's Mm -hmm. a fundamentally different medium where like one is designed on the go on demand. The other one is designed for real-time engagement and attending a thing that is a moment in time. Like, and I think that we've just webinar like you said, because so many people have run webinar programs, run them into the ground, made them bad and boring that yeah. it's like, and then they just like say like, oh, it's webinar. I'll give a great example. Qualified, the great sponsor mm-hmm. of this show and our best friends, they run a series called the Pipeline Summit, which is a quarterly online event, right? Mm-hmm. And it rocks. It's like super awesome, packed with value. We do all this stuff. It's really cool. You wouldn't say that it's a webinar because it's not like a single topic thing, but like that is a brilliant encapsulation of like this new thing. It's, it's both, it's, it's designed to be in real time. And so anyways, uh, I say that to say like, you know, if your webinar program isn't working, 
you might need to redesign it, but also maybe that group of people wants to engage in a different way. Sure. Yeah. And, and so I think there's no one size fits all there. Yeah. I'll, I'm not a qualified customer, but I will say actually just yesterday, maybe it was this morning sent our director of marketing, an example of some of the video content that they're putting out. I think it's what I saw was probably a snippet of that summit that they're doing, Mm -hmm. but I think that is a great example of like, how do you make this stuff engaging so people aren't thinking of it as this traditional stodgy thing that we think of as a webinar. And then for the people who have a traditional stodgy thing that they want to do, they can go check out a webinar. Like that's okay too, sure. right? <laughs> like yeah. for certain populations, like they want that exact thing. I want to go on yeah. for 45 minutes, know exactly what I'm going to get. Yeah. So yeah. Whereas like some people want to listen to a podcast on the go. Some people want to attend a live event so they can ask questions like, right. or, or a live webinar so they can ask questions in real time. So anywho, cool to hear yeah. that, that webinars are working for y'all. Any, any tips for how you're doing them right? You know, one of the things that we're doing, and this is relatively new and our, I'll give a shout out to our product marketing manager, Scott. If we think back to the conversation we have er, had earlier about expanding our use cases, one of the things that we've started doing is, you know, asking our kind of legacy core buyer or audience that would show up to our webinars to go, you know, tap their friends in marketing or e-commerce or sales on the shoulder and say, Hey, you should also join this because I think you'd get value. Right. And put a little incentive out there, but you know, we've seen in the last few 25 to 30% of the folks that register and attend are coming from that referral. So we're starting to get in front of some of these other buyers and, and stakeholders that I think that if we just went the traditional route, we probably wouldn't be reaching. So that's been working really well. When you say traditional route, what do you mean there? You know, just marketing to like, we may not have all the right contacts at a brand or a retailer in our database. So, right. you know, if you're in the database and you get the invite, but your marketing counterpart is not, you're, you're telling them that they should join too, right? So we're, we're gaining that contact and getting in front of those new buyers. Yeah, that's cool. Very cool. Yeah. Do you do paid ads behind the webinar series? Like, are you, are you pushing it out there in front of people? We've done a little bit of paid social, like LinkedIn primarily, but not a lot. Cool. Interesting. Cool to hear that organic growth. What about most cuttable budget item? Do you have something that you're not going to be investing in or isn't working? You're going to fade away? You know, I just mentioned paid social, so I might be talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but we haven't seen a lot of success on Twitter in particular. So we've kind of pulled back on, you know, any sponsored promoted content there. You know, that would probably be the main one. A little bit of traction on Facebook, but primarily LinkedIn is where our our audience is going to be. Any other thoughts on uncuttable stuff? I mentioned brand earlier in this, you know, I think plays into that. Design is a big part of it too, right? Like part of this refresh was to really make sure that we were going to market with a, a, a real distinctiveness to the brand and the assets that we're putting out, whether it's through social or, or other channels. And again, I think that sometimes brand and design falls into that as well, can, can be early on the chopping block when you have to think about things to cut. And I think that's a, that's a bad idea. It, it looks great. For Thank our you. listeners, Thank you. you can go to One World Sync, the number one, worldsync.com to check it out. The design looks fantastic. It looks so good. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah, I'll give a give a shout out to our designer. And then we partnered with a, an agency called Studio Science. So great, great group of people, great to work with. And they did a fantastic job kind of guiding us through the process. I know there is probably a point where you could have too many designers, but I totally agree that design is so underinvested because yeah 
I mean, every medium that we use is so visual now, right? So it's like you have right. to have stunning visuals. Like you have to. Otherwise, it just blends in. And I feel the same way when people have like a very clear brand design and then every mm-hmm. one of their assets looks the exact same. It's like, well, what is going to stand out? We we do this a lot with with podcast series where we often recommend people to create a series in like an alt color so mm-hmm. that it's like when you are posting about your series, it's a palette that you only use yeah. for that thing and it makes it pop on your website. Same thing with like your webinar series or your event series or whatever. And again, a lot of people just sort of trot out the same stuff. Yeah. And it just doesn't, doesn't work as well. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to is that asset distinctive, right? Like if you want them to think about a certain series, like for us, if we wanted to think about or have marketers think about a certain series different than the IT team or the master data team, you know, how do we make that distinctive? So when a marketer sees it, it's not kind of blending in with some of the other stuff that we might be doing that speaks to a different audience. So fully agree, fully agree with that. How do you view the website? How do I view the website? You, you know, I've heard, heard other folks talk about it as kind of the digital storefront, right? I, I really view it as it's, it's really a product for us. Like the marketing team thinks of the website like a product because, you know, we've, we got to engage, we got to convert, like this is the, the doorway into the rest of the conversation. So, you know, again, a lot of the work that we did wasn't just about design and copy and and all that, but, you know, how are we getting, you know, users and traffic from the homepage to other places in the site we need them to go. So big time focus on just user experience overall as well. I'm curious, um, you know, how you, how you decided to make strategic sort of decisions on things like nav and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, like I said, a lot of this was guidance from the agency that we worked with. And if you, if you're on the website right now, which it looks like you might be, maybe um, that navigation is not something that you see very often, right? It's, I mean, it basically takes up the whole screen when you click on platform. And the reason that we did that was, you know, what we offer is pretty complex and we do offer a lot of different capabilities for the different teams and, and stakeholders that I talked about. So, you know, our, our goal there was we want them to click one button and be able to see basically everything that we do and quickly navigate to the thing that is, you know, most important for them. So if you're, you know, the VP of marketing and you click that, how are we getting you to the area of the website that's going to resonate most with you versus, you know, if you're in the master data teams or the IT teams, same thing. How do we get you as that particular buyer or stakeholder to the thing that's going to matter most, right? So that we can engage you in a conversation. And we frankly, and very candidly, like when we first saw it, we were, we were a little surprised because we hadn't seen something kind of that bold, but, you know, through conversations and, and really understanding the logic and kind of strategy behind it, we, we bought in and we went with it. So, well, it's like, the way that I was thinking about it was if the job of the nav is to get you where you need to go fastest, then mm-hmm. like it, it really does that, right? It gets yeah. you where you're going really fast. And I thought that was just kind of a cool way of, of doing it. Anyways, it's yeah. a beautiful site and really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Any campaign stories or, or favorite campaign or anything that you've, you've either got going now or have done recently? Yeah, we've, you know, we, this year will be the third year that we've done it, but we do, we produce a report called the Consumer Product Content Benchmark Report, where we, we go out and survey consumers, 
right? A lot of reports that you see from B2B companies are surveying like the buyers of whatever that technology is. We've taken a bit of a different approach and, and we survey consumers to understand how product content from brands and retailers influence their buying decisions. And that's, that's worked tremendously well for us. We've, you know, generated a lot of press from it. It's been an awesome just sales asset for our sales team. And it helps our customers, our brands and retailers really think about the different ways that they need to, you know, orchestrate product content in a way that's going to get their, their shoppers to do what they want them to do, which is, you know, add to cart, click and buy and, you know, whether they're coming into a store and picking it up or it's being delivered to their house, you know, that report gives them a lot of really great insights to, uh, to understand that. How do you measure success? How do we measure success? You know, I think first and foremost, you know, we think of our North Star metric as the company's metric. Are we growing? Is the sales team hitting their bookings number? Are we seeing, you know, the pipeline that we need to see in order to get there? So, you know, those, those company level metrics are really kind of the first thing that we think about, but then you have, you know, what I like to think about is, you know, input metrics, indicator metrics, and then outcome metrics. So I talked a little bit about the outcome metrics, but, you know, what are the activities that we're doing as inputs that will lead us to those outcomes? And there's, you know, a list of them that you probably already know, but, you know, how many people are we driving to webinars? How many sales conversations, meetings are we setting, right? All of those, you know, how much traffic to the website is that growing? All those indicators that are going to give you confidence or a lack of confidence that you're going to get to the outcomes, right? That you need to see. So, you know, I've got, we've got our kind of global brand dashboard where there's probably 15 different metrics that fit into each one of those buckets that we look at on a regular basis. You know, and we align with the sales team to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Now that you own sort of like BR function, do you feel more strongly that it should live in, in marketing? Yeah, a little, little bit of a bias answer, but yeah, I think they should be. And there's the reality, there's different, you know, different flavors of how this can work. You can sometimes have inbound BDRs report into marketing, outbound report into sales. But I think having the group within the marketing organization really helps to ensure that, you know, all of the messaging and everything that we're doing from a marketing standpoint flows through to the conversations that are happening you know, in early discussions with prospects and customers. So I think there's a, a lot of value in, in that structure. All right, let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. We're talking about healthy tension, whether that's with your boards, your competitors, or anyone else, TJ, have you had a memorable dust up in your career? <laughs> a long time ago, not not recently. I remember. I mean, this was probably more than ten years ago. Where, you know, I was a junior manager, and I got an email that created certain emotions, and I probably reacted to that email too quickly, and you know, sent some feedback to <laughs> one of the folks on the senior executive team, and pretty quickly got a. Uh, whipped into shape, so to speak, on that one. So that, that's the most memorable. Nothing too recent, though. All right, let's get to our quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. You already know all these. I'll spice it up. I'll give you some crazy okay. ones. These are 
quick, just like how quickly qualified helps companies generate pipeline, tap in your greatest asset, your website, to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly start sales conversations. Quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. You can go talk to somebody right now. Just go on there, qualified.com. Go talk to somebody. Quick hits, TJ, are you ready? I am ready. What is one hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? I am a barber. Ooh, really? <laughs> I've been, well, you can't tell and you can't critique me, but I've been cutting my own hair since I was 15 years old. I used to cut my friend's hair. My son, who's now almost 13, I cut his hair. So it's it's a little bit of a hidden hidden skill that most people don't know about. So that's one. I also cut my own hair, but I'm not a barber. So I'm just pretty bad at it. <laughs> well, I'm a self-proclaimed barber. Let's say that. I'm yeah, that's right. Barber, so I don't charge. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book or podcast or TV show that you've been checking out recently? Obviously, this one is, is fantastic. Hey. I've been listening to you for a while. You know, a book that I'll, I'll actually mention a couple of books. One is, that I gift most often is called Taking People With You. It's a great book on leadership. It's by, he used to be the former CEO of Yum Brands. Hmm. So folks should go check that out. Another one, which is kind of funny, we just had Tim Calkins, who's the a marketing professor at Northwestern Kellogg. He did a talk for our company, our employees this morning. He's got a book called How to Wash a Chicken. Hmm. It has nothing to do with washing chickens. It's about, you know, how do you give a good business presentation? So that's one that I've been kind of encouraging folks, especially if you don't do a lot of presentations or you haven't, it gives you the fundamentals and probably it'll save you a lot of mistakes. So, and then podcasts, you know, outside of this one, there's one that I listen to pretty religiously every Monday. It's called Grit. It's by one of the partners at Kleiner Perkins. Mm. There's a lot of really good conversations in that one. So, If you could make any animal, any size, what animal would it be and what size? Oh, goodness. That is a curveball. So we have two cats. It would be interesting to see the fluffy cat the size of, you know, an elephant, let's say. Just knocking <laughs> elephant. Just knocking stuff over, running cars over. Yeah. Elephant-sized <laughs> glasses of water off the table. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite non-marketing hobby that maybe indirectly makes you a better marketer? Non-marketing hobby. You know, I, I have a, and maybe this kind of fits into marketing. I don't know, but I have a personal blog, so I like to write. I think that helps just strengthen that skill. It's something that I enjoy doing. The other one, it's less of a hobby. It's more of just, you know, I'm a parent to uh, a late Gen Z child. So it's always interesting just to see, you know, he's almost 13 interesting to see how he thinks about, you know, brands and content and the stuff that he's consuming, because the reality is in 10, you know, or so years, he's going to be the one at the brand or the retailer that's making decisions on things that, you know, that we do and other B2B companies do. So the more I can, you know, get in his mind today, maybe I'll be a better marketer for that generation when it comes time. What's something that you're investing in marketing wise? Well, we've talked a lot about the brand refresh, you know, that the big part of that project's done. Outside of that, we're investing more, surprisingly, talking a lot more about investing in events. And, you know, mm -hmm. you're probably hearing that more now than you obviously did a year ago. But, you know, the, the event that we just came back from last week, just being able to get our sales team in front of customers, in front of future customers and prospects. Um, and have a real genuine conversation is it was it was great to see and I think it's something that you know as we think about the second half of the year and going into 2024 
right? How do we do more of that? Even if it's on a smaller scale, just, you know, roadshow type events or other ways that we can support the team to get in front of customers in that way, I think is important. What is one piece of advice for a first time CMO trying to figure out their pipeline strategy? Man, I would say, you know, really understand what the business is trying to accomplish. So start there, right? Align with your CEO, align with your, if you've got a chief revenue officer, VP of sales, align with them and really get as clear and granular as you can on, okay, here's the goal. What are the inputs and what are the different, you know, levers that we have to pull that we really need to go execute against as a team, you know, collectively just get super, super clear on that. I think, you know, where marketing leaders can go, you know, off track is, they kind of have their own picture of, of what that needs to look like. And then the CEO or the CRO have another picture and, you know, you just kind of get out of whack and things can go south pretty quickly. So get alignment. TJ, it's been awesome chatting with you. It's always great to chat with you. Great to chat with you in public Thanks, this yeah, time. You too. Everyone, our listeners can go to oneworldsync.com. You can check out the brand refresh that we've been talking about. You can ping TJ any questions you have about it. TJ, any final thoughts, anything to plug? Yeah, I mean, you've, I'm sure you have a, a large audience and there's probably a lot of folks that work in CPG and retail. And if you're, you know, if you're already a customer, reach out, let me know if you, if you heard this, you got value from it. If you're not a customer, I'd love to learn more about, you know, how we might be able to help. So connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm happy to be a resource and share more if, if you have more questions. All right. Thanks, Ian. Thanks again to our friends at qualified.com, a conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.